and welcome to this latest episode of the ISBA BursaCast podcast. This episode has been released on the 30th of November. This podcast is here to bring you the very latest on operational and regulatory issues impacting independent schools today. Today's episode is going to be one filled with guests, so lucky you. We're going to be hearing from Jenny Arrowsmith from Owen Mitchell. We're going to be hearing from Sarah Knight from the Allergy Team and Rex Sartain, the stalwart ISBA Advice and Guidance member. So with all of that to look forward to, let's jump right in and hear from Rex about some information about being a clerk to governors and how to get the very best out of your governors and focusing the board's vision going into autumn 2023. Rex, good morning. It is still morning. Thank you very much for joining us on today's BursaCast. Thanks very much, Leo. Really good to be uh, here this morning. Today, I was hoping you could inform us a little bit more about some of the Clark Governor's guidance that the ISBA has issued recently. Being the ISBA, they do a lot of work speaking to bursars who are majority of the time, Clark Governors. And within this, it's a really delicate relationship and a really important relationship to get right to make sure you're getting the most out of your governors. And the ISBA has put together a series of questions that hopefully will allow people to focus on the Board of Governors uh, and to ensure that they're doing as best they can. And I understand there's a bit of a list of questions to get through. What have we got here, Rex? Yeah, no. So this uh, next bulletin that uh, comes out uh, in the next 24 hours or so has this list of questions that bursars should be uh, asking both their executive team and uh, their governors. It's a really good reminder as to what the key issues are, particularly looking into the future in case VAT comes in and uh, business rates as well. And I think ISBA are of the view now that um, it's very much up to the clerk, to the governors, to help lead the agenda uh, for their governors uh, so that you're hitting all the right spots. And so we've come up with this list of uh, questions, which we hope is going to help them and trigger some sort of uh, thought process. Of course, many of the schools will have already thought of this, but it is a great reminder. Sure. So do we want to just run us through sort of A to J as they are? Um, what are some examples of the questions that perhaps should be being brought up? Yeah. So um, firstly, is it a, a five-year financial forecast? And indeed, does that even go out uh, further? And if so, does it assume the loss of business rate relief and the imposition of VAT on school fees? And of course, there's some really good work in the reference library in terms of how to anticipate that and uh, use some of the spreadsheets that are now available to give you that sort of forecast. Other questions, um, I reckon what range of assumptions are made about the net effect of VAT increase uh, after recovery of VAT on inputs? And so you're probably looking at at least 15% uh, that you're going to have to find if VAT comes in. And also, what effect will those two taxation changes have on the short, medium and long-term viability of the school? Um, and if fees must be increased, uh, what is the likely percentage and in what years? And certainly being a governor uh, myself, we've looked at that. We've looked at the parent uh, cohort. 
we've looked at those parents that we think can afford it and those that may not be able to. So having that sort of uh, information is really useful to, to, to this discussion. I've got a few more, uh, if that would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. This actually just brings to mind that comment, uh, the uh, Barnett Waddingham uh, forecasting tool might be really, really useful for, for looking at this kind of stuff and getting some really instant feedback and some really good visuals to share with the board. So if you're not currently using that, then I highly recommend doing so. Uh, it's a really, really useful resource. But yes, yeah. onwards, what else is there? Yeah, absolutely. And just to follow you on your point, being able to present that to uh, governors to give them a taste of what might be happening to the school, um, picture paints a thousand words. Um, so other questions that uh, you might like to uh, ask, and of course, there's a lot more detail in the bulletin, yeah, but yeah. given what, uh, given the best, uh, percentage increase, how many of the school's current and future parents will find themselves unable or willing to pay the increased fees and over what timescale? And I, I touched on that uh, 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 just now, having a really good indicator, uh, not just looking at the cars in the car park, but actually uh, the senior leadership team and some of the senior members of the school who have been there some time will have a really good understanding of what parents um, uh, what parents are going to be able to afford it or perhaps not afford it. So uh, putting together a little uh, group to have a look at that will be a great indicator. Uh, and what can the school do to ease the burden in the next couple of years? Um, and of course, immediately you'll go to thinking about uh, staff. 70% um, of uh, school fees go to to staff generally in most schools. Uh, so are there any uh, issues there about the curriculum that you're uh, offering, uh, the number of staff that are teaching, etc.? And um, is there a demand for parents for a fees in advance scheme? I know many schools are looking that, at that already. Uh, either they are just setting up or they are developing some of their fees in advance scheme. And what options are there for starting one? And uh, what will be the re repercussions on uh, salaries? So those are really good questions to be asking. Um, I would hope most schools are well ahead of that, but it is a great reminder. Yeah, yeah. As we said, these questions, which they're not comprehensive, but do give a really solid starting point and hopefully will lead to a revision of the school's financial strategy, perhaps the inclusion of appropriate risks in the risk register. And the key here, I think, is the beginning of communication with parents and a resetting a strategy to consider the, the real viability of the school. So as I say, that Barnett Waddingham forecasting tool here is your bread and butter for getting this translated um, really easily to your governors and perhaps parents as well. But yeah, as we said, there's a, there's a lot more detail on that and questions broken down into sections in the latest bulletin and obviously in the library as well. So if you think that would be useful, please do jump in and make the most of that. It could be a tumultuous bit of time ahead with lots of governmental changes on the horizon. Well, with that all taken care of, Rex, I'll let you get back to your busy Thursday afternoon, I'm sure. It is now afternoon, so you can, yeah, you no, can have your second you. cup of coffee. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, third cup of coffee. Uh, and I've been into um, school already to look at a great... Um, uh, event. It's great to see. It's a lovely time of the year. Anyway, right, I'll let you jump off. I've got to jump off. I've got another guest coming on. Busy burst of cast today. 
Uh, so I'll let you get on with it. But thank you so much for coming on and talking us through that. And I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Great. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you again to Rex for joining us on that segment of the show. Now, next up, we're going to have Sarah Knight join us, who's going to be telling us about the new allergy code and allergy register that has recently come into being. So rather than have me explain it twice, let's jump right into our chat with Sarah. Sarah, good morning. Thank you very much for joining me on the BursaCast today. Thanks for having me, Leo. No, it's a delight. Recently, the Allergy Team and Benedict Blythe Foundation and the ISBA has been working on a new allergy code and a register, but we'll get to that later. That's a separate item. So what is the code and what's new about it and why should bursas be thinking about this? So the school's allergy code is a simple, straightforward framework that schools can um, put in place and follow to ensure that they're adhering to best practice in schools allergy management. At the moment, legislation and guidance is in lots and lots of different places. And so we wanted to work together with um, the ISBA and with Benedict Blythe Foundation to bring some top points together on two sides of A4. So it's just really clear guidance that schools can follow the step by steps to get things shored up in schools. And the reason this is really important is because we're finding that schools manage allergies in really different ways. Some schools are brilliant at it and have really clear structures in place. All school staff are trained. There's really good awareness and they take a whole school approach. But others just don't have that in place. And there's vulnerabilities. And this is making children with allergies susceptible to potentially having coming into contact with their allergen and then potentially having an allergic reaction. Sure. And the code sets this out real clear. And within the code, it recommends that you have a policy, obviously. And in the ISBA, a little plug here for our listeners, in the ISBA reference library, there is a template policy around this that is a really thorough one that covers everything. And the code, as I said, put together with three different parties and Benedict Blythe Foundation comes at it with all the the research and the sort of intense uh, looking at, at the subject with all the invested stakeholders. So really, really great input from them and then looking at the other side of this which is the register which kind of is a separate entity to the code what does the register do the code is free uh, to access for all schools but alongside that the isba and the allergy team have established a register a school's allergy register and this is where the allergy team will come and assess the school to make sure that it's adhering to the code properly and that the policy is fit for purpose and that the policy actually reflects the practices that are in place in the school and that all staff do have this allergy awareness and there are good procedures in place and they are taking this whole school approach the school's allergy register will be published so that parents can go and check which schools are on the register. And also it's a form of assurance for schools to go through a third party assessment to make sure that, you know, to try and iron out any vulnerabilities. And then looking forward, obviously today, Thursday, Versacast Thursday, tomorrow on the 1st, you're doing a webinar around this. What will be included in that? So tomorrow, uh, John Murphy, the CEO of uh, ISBA and uh, myself will be doing a webinar. We'll be talking about why allergy management is so important. It's the most common chronic condition in childhood. And there's almost no other chronic condition that can take a child from perfectly well to fighting for their life 
in moments. So we're talking about why it's so important to get right. And then we'll be going through the code, going through the step-by-step points in it and how to implement that in your school. And then also we'll be talking about the register and why that's important. This means a lot to me. I'm the parent of two children with food allergies and I've seen firsthand how many, how different schools kind of manage allergies. And also Benedict Blythe Foundation who Helen can't be on the webinar tomorrow because tomorrow marks the second anniversary of her her son dying in school from an allergic reaction. And it's through her work and through the work we've been doing with other parents and schools that makes just, this is so important. And so it would be great if as many people can join us on this webinar tomorrow as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Hugely, hugely vital topic and one that you really can't afford to get wrong. No, and... An allergic reaction doesn't just impact the child. It also impacts the whole school community. Even a near miss or a a, a mild allergic reaction can have a really devastating impact. But it's not just also the allergic reactions. It's also inclusion and every aspect that goes around that. You know, the mental health impact of living with an allergy is huge, too. So it's really important that all kind of parts of school life are managed well in this area. And this doesn't need to be complicated. Just a few simple things in place make a huge difference. Mm. And so up until now, schools have obviously had allergy policies. But is it the case that they're just not being implemented correctly or thoroughly enough? What have been the issues up till now? So we've worked with the ISBA to create um, an allergy policy template for all of the member schools. And this has come out of reading so many allergy policies across the industry that Um, often have outdated information. I've read lines like, while the activity is taking place, the child with a food allergy can go and sit in the library and doesn't put inclusion at the heart of it. It's just, um, and it's, so it's tying all of those things up and also thinking about all of the aspects of school life in independent schools in boarding schools where it's, it's highly complex. So it's trying to get, we've got, you know, lots of experts feeding into this advice and this, Each policy needs to obviously be um, tailored and adapted for the individual school, but it's a really good kind of starting point to get all of those things in place. Sure. So it just takes the first five steps for you and and gives you a really good place to boost off from. Probably a few more than five steps. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Definitely holds your hand on making a robust allergy policy for your school. Nice. Okay. The first couple of miles, we'll say. Yeah. A good head start. Yeah. yeah, good head start. Okay, fantastic. Um, we're really excited about this to come out. It's well, the policies in the in the reference library at the moment, and the register is live. Or the register is live. It launched last Thursday, so uh, come and be one of our first signups. The um, school's allergy code is also in your library, so also your member schools can have a look at that there too. And it's Marvelous. also on our website, which is theallergyteam.com. Marvelous, Sarah. I'll let you go there. Thank you so much for coming to join us and talk us through all of this. It's a very exciting and step in the right direction, I think, for allergies. I really hope so. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you very much, Sarah, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Do have a look at all of the allergy goodness that's coming out of that if you find it necessary. Looking forward for this episode, though, we're going to be hearing from Jenny Arrowsmith from Owen Mitchell as she gives us her weekly kind of update of things we should be thinking about. And today, it's the equal pay gap. And we're joined once again by our, our podcast friend, Jenny Arrowsmith. Jenny, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. No, it's nice delightful nice to have to you on. I'm hoping today we can do a quick fire, a little bit of bit of a snapshot into what's 
been going on lately and what should we be thinking about? I know we've just been talking a little bit about Equal Pay Day. What is this? So Equal Pay Day is um, it, it's based on research around the gender pay gap reporting. And it's the date that symbolises how many extra days women must work until the end of the year to earn what men would have earned in the same year, i.e. it's drawing out the fact that there is still a gender pay gap um, statistically. And gender pay gap is that difference in hourly rate between men and women um, judged against the proportion of men's pay. So what the latest stats are showing is that um, there's essentially a 15% difference between what women are earning and men. So if you look at that another way, and this is not sector specific, women on average earn 85p per pound that men would work would be earning um and i suppose you know that there's there's a lot behind that isn't there but if you work it through the statistics i was reading says that at this current rate it will take until 2051 to close the gender pay gap now we have more women working in our in in the workforce now in fact, I think it's 51% of the workforce is now women. That gap will naturally close. The more that we're doing things around EDI, equality, diversity, inclusion, that gap um, will close. Um, but it's just a stark reminder that we are not there yet. Um, and we were just saying, I think I think actually education sector is better than many other sectors in relation to this. You've got a decent transparency in relation to pay. And obviously it's, it's a sector that... Um, has a high population of women uh, working within it. Um, but nevertheless, I thought it was quite interesting to, um, stats just to air in this short slot that we've got today. Um, and maybe just a bit of a reminder of some of the things that organisations need to be thinking about to continue to engage women, retain women, promote women, and do all the things that will naturally lead to the uh, closing of that gender pay gap. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what sort of things, if schools do find that they are, you know, lacking in this, what sort of things should, specifically for our discussion today, bursars, be doing to to alleviate this and fix this? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is different, just to be clear, on um, discrimination on pay, because if you've got uh, the, the same job being done by a man and a woman, you have to pay them the same, because that would lead to an equal pay claim. This is more about looking at the percentage of women in the organisation, percentage of men, looking at the average pay. Um, so if you have, um, you know, a, a senior leadership team, which is predominantly men, you are naturally going to start to have a higher gender pay gap. So we need to be thinking of things around supporting women to um, thrive in the organisation, to um, have every opportunity to rise the ranks I suppose just as much as men and where there is underrepresentation in any particular roles we need to be trying to address that so things like you know what are we doing to um, account for the fact that women still do hold a greater proportion of childcare responsibilities um, they still hold the greater proportion of caring responsibilities as well and we've got carers leave coming in in due course um, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, and that, that's open to men and women, obviously, it'd be interesting to see who utilises that the most. Um, part time workers tend still to be more women than men. So how are you valuing the work that part timers bring? Do you value it in the same way? Um, does the fact that you are a part time worker in some way limit the opportunities you might have and I, I have to say I don't think any of this is done consciously I think it's a unconscious bias plays a lot in here in terms of the perceptions about 
you know, what you maybe need from a leader or a particular role. Um, so we've got to constantly be challenging ourselves in relation to these things and supporting um, the, these areas. You know, we've done a podcast before about menopause. That's a good example. You know, how are you supporting women with uh, well-being issues that particularly impact in relation to them? Um, how are we supporting women to progress into senior roles um, and looking at our leaders and valuing the diversity of leadership and what men, women um, can can bring, well, all, all protected characteristics can bring into um, those roles. And just challenging our thinking around it, really. So it's just a reminder about that um, and maybe just reflecting on your own gender pay gap um, and just taking what proactive steps you can just to keep moving in the right direction. It's another good prompt as well to be looking at equality, diversity, inclusion, which I think every organisation should be doing as a whole to truly, um, you know, get get the best out of all of their staff and make it a really inclusive and welcoming place to work because we know that pays off. It makes it more productive um, and um, has many other indirect benefits. But that's a whole yeah. other topic in itself, Leah. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things I'm sure we could get into in in huge detail. But I've I've curtailed you with a five minute slot, yeah. which you've you've filled almost perfectly. Um, so yeah, hugely important. And yeah, thank you for bringing it to light. It's one of those things that can so easily just get sort of swept under the carpet amidst the running of a business and the sort of without looking at the details. So really important to bring attention to it. There is some discrepancy about exactly when. Uh, equal pay day is but generally speaking it's mid-november mid-november yeah the date i was looking at was 22nd of november and that's been reported by the Fawcett society which is a charity that champions in relation to a lot of uh, these areas in relation to uh, diversity yeah absolutely well hopefully this will spark some good conversation and get some meaningful change happening in the workplace if it's not already happened but yeah we'll we'll draw it up there jenny thank you so much for jumping on short yeah, but that- sweet and uh, we'll catch you again soon, I'm sure. Yes, thank you. I look forward to it. And there we go. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the BursaCast. Now, final few things before we clock off for the day. Firstly, there is a debt respite scheme or breathing space guidance for schools with increased pressure on fee payers resulting from the current economic crisis. It may be that schools are asked to give a fee payer a breathing space if the fee payer gets into financial difficulty more generally. Whilst the legislation has been in place for some time, it is only recently that the consequences of the regime are being felt by the independent school sector, and therefore needs both an introduction and an explanation. ISBA has worked with Farenco to produce guidance for schools. This can be found in the reference library. Looking forward again, the independent schools ICT survey is currently ongoing. And this is a little call to give your input if you haven't already. It's a really simple survey, won't take you long, but gives a really great insight into the state of the nation for cybersecurity and IT in general. So please do have a look at that. Please do have a look at the latest bulletin or the reference library to find a link. Something that we've covered in previous episodes, but is still on people's minds, is holiday pay and this return to coherency. So please, if you haven't yet, head back to the latest Friday Focus where we get all of that cleared up or head to the bulletin for a piece of guidance where it all gets discussed in writing. Something else that we've discussed in the past but is always important is the ISBA Inspections app. The app is constantly developing and is available to all ISBA member schools. Please email isbaadmin at theisba.org.uk to get yourself access. It's constantly being updated 
and reflecting your needs. So please enjoy it. And finally, as usual, I'll let you know about some of the upcoming webinars that might tickle your fancy. The final one for this year is taking place on the 5th of December between 11 and 12. And this is on being strategic with your cross-sector partnerships. And now really, this is the final thing. I'm going to let you know about the upcoming regional group meetings because I've had people get in touch saying they like to hear about it. So 5th of December, 2 p.m. Northeast Virtual. 6th of December, 10.30, Solent Regional Meeting. 6th of December, 2 p.m., 7 and Avon Virtual. And 7th of December, 10.45, Kent Face-to-Face Meeting. And that will be at Ashford School. That's all for this year. And I'll... uh, see you on the next BursaCast. There actually isn't going to be a Friday Focus episode tomorrow, so sorry, you'll have to somehow fight your way through the day without it. But we'll be back next week for a usual BursaCast. If you enjoy this, please share it with members of your team. Otherwise, subscribe so you never miss an update. And if you'd like to get in touch, please email podcast at theisba.org.uk. So with all that covered, have a lovely weekend. And until next time, farewell.